So in Houston, I'm John Herter, Tuesday, the 9th of February. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, from the expert is a compressed virtual networking accelerator, helping people across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. Kind of like a TED Talk with networking. So what's in it for you? The FTE promise, if all goes well, your curiosity sparked, new ideas come to light, and you may have helped yourself and the others in the network solve a problem or get to that opportunity faster. We know networking has never been more important to your business, so we're continuously experimenting with ways to help engage and interact with each other. More trust in the group, promotes richer, stronger networking, accelerates connections, getting you to the opportunity faster, you get it. So question for you, right now, looking on the horizon, what's influencing and changing your business opportunities and priorities? Well, that's the same question I asked our discussion leaders, Scott Dozier and Martin Hansen to reflect on, but from their own lane, unique situation, vantage point, industry perspective. What if taking their perspectives could make it easier for everybody to learn, engage, and make new connections around the table? Hey, sounds like a great recipe for an interesting discussion, so let's get to it. So first up, Morton Hansen, telecoms IT executive, currently senior vice president, engineering and operations with infrastructure networks, a recognized visionary leader who can connect the gap between technology and monetization. Morton, man, it's really good to see you. I'm glad that you made time to uh, network with us today. Uh, could you share with us what your discussion headline is and set the scene? Thank you, John, on that one. So, so where I wanted to go in is on, on connectivity and, and uh, some people look at commodity and, and uh, an enabler and, and we'll dive into it. So the key thing is we live in a world today that get more and more connected um, and the number of connected devices long past number of people. Um, I looked at some statistics and in uh, Statista said in 2018, it was uh, 22 billion uh, connected devices, IoT, Internet of Things on that one. So it's just growing past number of people and, and more and more gets connected out there. But connectivity is something that's been enabled us to transform um, both uh, machines, but also humans. And, and that's why I'd like to go in and looking right now, how do we bala uh, balance the risk uh, in today's evolving business environment? when we look at what the interconnected uh, world is. Because as we all know, uh, working in a business environment is all about managing risk. Um, what are people willing to pay for the risk you take on it, on, on that part, and, and what are accepted based on either investors or, or others or your own risk you take as, as you're running on that one. So kicking everything off, I'm not trying to go in, into a lot of detail in technology and, and jargon too much on, so feel free to rest me if I, I drop into techno side. I know there's some people on here who, who can follow along on that one, but, but we all are connected now. So let's dive into that one. So John, would you throw out the first question there? So, so you can go through the, all of them. So, so where do you perform most of your daily work from these days? Um, that's one key thing is like, are you heading into an office, um, home office, um, on the road or others uh, on that one? And, and I kept it simple in these, uh, these uh, pandemic days because working from home office uh, compared to um, what I look at, uh, corporate telecommuting is just two different things on, on that one. 
Um, I've had my experience myself on, on that one, uh, working from home office for three years in a previous job on, on that one. Um, for my end, I was lucky I was traveling the globe and visiting with colleagues and all that. So you had a connection with people around, but, but you had to set up for, for, for that environment. Um, the other question on that one you can jump into, um, do you connect on inter internet while on vacation? How important is it? Are you able to disconnect or, or do you need to be connected to friends or family or, or things on, on our part while, while you're out there uh, or show off where you're going? Uh, because there's been a lot of changes in, in that one. Uh, and also the, the last one is the connected home statement. Uh, and, and like most of the connected devices in my home have a person behind the screen or do you have more connected devices that are uh, other things in the network? How far you're along on, on that one? We'll dig into that a little bit as we go into the discussion. So thank you for that. So it looks like a, a good uh, good uh, balance there on, on that one. So let's just talk about that, the home office setup because when, when we look at companies that spend uh, until a year ago today, um, you have an office building, you, you add uh, a lot of connectivity into it, make sure it's working, the IT staff will head around and fix things and, and other things like that. If something breaks, they move things away from uh, the office facilities, servers into the cloud, and everything was just jamming along. Uh, and suddenly, they're moving everyone to work from home. And then the question is, yeah, I'm a techie. I keep my network at home running. How does all of your employees, how do you do it on, on that part? How do you make sure that you can deliver the, to the expectations of your employer on that one? Anyone has any thought uh, on, on this one? We have more. Uh, we've got Ed. And Ed, God help me to say your last name. Just say the question and give me your name, Ed. My name my name's Ed Bristois. It's a complicated Polish name. So good to be here and meet all of you. And so working from home uh, is, I think, new to a lot of people. But for those of us who have traveled internationally, it's it was sort of a, a it was normal. But I think um, I'd be interested in, in more than your views on whether you've seen an increased productivity in, in your world, uh, but less innovation. I think that's the general balance that I've, I've read about or heard from others. Yes, so, so on that point with innovation, I think that the, the challenge for some people is that how do you move certain ways of working uh, from an office environment into um, to a remote working? And, and I know some people are like, the, the biggest concern is like when something goes wrong and, and, and the example is a little bit like the, uh, and, um, the Space Command or NASA or something like that, you're in the same room, you all add something goes wrong, you can all huddle around there, you have the body language, you have the conversation, everything going on there is like the, the war room when things go on. How do you move that virtually? And, and that's the discussion we have and looking at with at infrastructure networks. We are working uh, remotely, most of the people uh, today. People can go into office if you want, uh, if it makes more sense and, and uh, use social distancing. But there is also a question, how, where do we move forward from it on that one? Um, the other thing is, um, on, on certain things from cybersecurity, and, and we have some discussion right now on, on phishing email or something like that we get. Um, when you receive that back in the days, you sit at your desk and you're saying, wow, this is something wrong. I'm not sure. It's easy to, to talk to someone in a cubicle or an office next door. Come over, check this one out. Is this right or is it wrong? 
that's something that's missing today when you're sitting apart in, in that uh, instance. So there's some things on that one. So got another question coming in from Jeff Hogendom. He's got any data. He's talking about burnout from uh, working at home, lack of personal interaction, you know, lowers productivity. Uh, you know, he says, however, many people, people may work home hours to save time, not having to commute. Do you have any questions around or data around that? Yeah, so, so on that one, I was probably more with Ryan last session, I think we had on that one with, with um, the, the research. I'm, I'm not into all detail except for working in, in a previous job I had uh, when in the beginning of the, the, the shutdown, what we saw the biggest issue was actually with, uh, with um, generally young uh, single people in certain uh, cities in the world, uh, because some cities went to shut down Paris and other places where they had um, a lot of their um, network they, they engaged with on a daily basis what was colleagues, other things from work. And, and they, they don't have anyone else in the house there that they engage with or, or something like that. You can always look and say, oh, it'd be nice to, to not have the kids running around while I'm trying to work. But there's something about just being you over an extended time. And, and that's what we started seeing, more the concern with some of them than actually people with families uh, and, and that part on it. So anybody else have anything to add there? A new, I'm so glad yeah. you can make it. Yeah, I, I would, this is Regan and, and almost a, a question also for Morton. How much do you think that can be an excuse? W what I mean by that is I remember years ago, I uh, was interviewing a new salesperson. It was a Friday and he said to me, well, I'm, I'm only gonna be in the office until about noon on Friday anyhow. And I looked at him and I thought, gosh, we're on an interview and you're being this bold. And I said, well, why is that? And he goes, well, you know why, Regan? Business owners don't work on Friday. And I said, really? What is today? Friday. And what time is it? 4 p.m. And I said, well, I'm in here. So sometimes I think that can be a convenient excuse. Have you, have you ever thought about that, Morton, that maybe it's just a convenient excuse for these folks that, that are saying they're not able to work productively out of their home? So, so it wasn't being productive. It was more about concern as uh, executive team on that one with the well-being of people be going into with, with that one. So it's more like the, the challenges if you don't catch it up early. And I was taking into the account saying the day you open up and or yeah. start opening up, who do you put priority on to get back into office on that one? So there wasn't so much productivity. Sales, it's easy. I managed a global sales team. I had yeah. people around the world. I didn't see them in the office on, on that one. To me, are you delivering to the numbers? Mm -hmm. That's what it is. I don't care which day you show up and how you deal with it. Right. Are you, doing your job? Are you getting the stuff in the CRM? Are you closing the deals? Are the customer happy? Do I need to take escalation on the customers? If not, I don't care on that so, one. That's so, my, my style. We have uh, Sean Gilly, Ray Torgerson, and Nola Preto Linan. They're asking anyone using Teams or similar products to bring people closer. Uh, I think everybody's said yes. Uh, Torgerson says he's found that his hours are more regular and tend to run into the evenings. Yes, I think people are nodding ahead to that. And then uh, Nola says separation of work and personal is hard to manage. Actually, ends up working longer hours. So. I'm thinking everybody's looking at those and shaking their head. Yeah. So that's another thing. So. Yeah. So, so in a connected you know, model. Can... Of that, yeah, this. 
please. Sorry, Martin, if you were continuing. No, 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 no. Feel, feel free to. You know, I, I was just chiming in. I think, John, you kind of called out my name and I was just chiming. And I, I think what we've experienced is there are people who are used to working remotely or managing, not really working remotely, but managing teams, uh, you know, across different offices, even if they were in the office, they were used to that. So the remote switch did not become so difficult because they were used to working with teams remotely. And now it's just a question of you're not in the office, but you're in the home and your team is anyway, not next to you. So I think they found the transition a lot easier. People who are managing global teams found it a lot easier because they were used to working, you know, I wouldn't say 24 by seven, but close to that, you're working late nights, early mornings uh, because of the time zone difference. I think people who had their teams very much next to them in the office found it harder to transition. And I'm just seeing all of this is, there is a lot of debate on, you know, the impact on productivity and innovation, et cetera, the two spectrums. One is, can you do more work? Can you do creative work? And uh, so far, at least the organization I am in, again, it's too early to say, Definitely on productivity, we haven't seen an issue. Uh, maybe some spots here and there, but not really. Uh, on Even on innovation and creativity, not a whole lot. Of course, the question could be that if I want to, uh, you know, accelerate the innovation, do I need to be in the office? But clearly we do see employees longing to meet each other, to spend time with each other. Do they want to go back to exactly the way they worked earlier? Maybe not but certainly they would love some degree of interaction and the flexibility for the interaction. Uh, we also find, we did a study and we found certain teams are best suited to work from office, especially when you need, you know, very good Wi-Fi, et cetera, you know, uh, traders, for example, or you may find like customer service may be better off in the office just because you have sterile environments and you don't have noise and disturbances there. And some people may not be able to provide that in their homes. So, you know, we found stuff like that. We find some people, uh, you know, who live in smaller homes would prefer to have the office so that it's easier for them to work. They're just cramped up. There are two people taking calls and they're shouting on top of each other, stuff like that. So I think it is a little bit of individual base. You'll find certain countries where, you know, they have more people in smaller houses and they may prefer to be in the office sometimes. So you, I think people want the flexibility of going back to the office, uh, perhaps not looking at it from a complete nine to seven, you know, right. five days a week, not that way, you know, nine to five, five days a week kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and also I think what we are finding is that what is the impact on cultures yet to be determined? Uh, the only thought I would give here is if you think about our grandkids, they're probably, if somebody told our grandkids, imagine they were like 30 years old and they're going to office and somebody told them, hey, what time are you supposed to reach office? They may just look at you and say, what are you talking about? So what I'm trying to say is that we have a frame of reference. We worked in office for so many centuries and decades that now when this happened, everyone's thinking about what will be the culture like, what will be the impact of productivity, what will be the impact of innovation? But what you also have to recognize is technology is moving so quickly. People are adapting. People adapt very quickly. And the universe has adapted in a year. 
a lot of people don't want to really go back to the office to work the way they were working earlier. So yeah. that means people have adapted. So, you know, how do you look at the future without the current frame of reference? That's the way we should look at it, you know? I spoke a lot, sorry, I'll stop. No, 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 and, and I think you hit also a good comment here with the Wi-Fi quality, and, and I think that's where some of the challenges and all, but, but the good thing there is there's things going down the road with regards to, to technologies on that one. Today, you'll probably have a, a cable connection or, or whatever to the house on that one, but what happens when that breaks? And something work on it is your IT department reaching out and, and fixing that and getting scheduled no it's up to each individual and, and I think that's where there's a challenge also from from HR and IT who managed to take care of that one if people don't feel like they have control on that connectivity and and that affects their productivity that could be an issue because in the office things were all streamlined and, and ready for that uh, of course you hear about 5G, all the things on that one, but I think there is an opportunity. And as I said, in every crisis, uh, there is an opportunity. And, and I honestly think there is connecting uh, multiple circuits for home office workers and plants on that one is definitely uh, an area. I think we'll see more from uh, yeah, Comcast, Xfinity, others probably start tying things together or other companies saying that we'll manage this or we'll support this one. Because yeah. it's a, it's a change in that, and, and I think that's that's the interesting part on on that one. Any thoughts? Any anyone with experience on that one from home? That's not the techie like like me. What you know? I'll let somebody else speak up. But we've got a lot of comments going on. Everything from uh, the connectivity has really helped. Sort of, it's become more blended between work and home. But that's actually been a good thing. Uh, Sarah Delisle says that, hey, I, I'm, I'm busy, plus I'm a mother of three. I, I got it all going on. It makes it easier for me to get it all done. Uh, you know, then, uh, then we had, uh, uh, Stig was talking about uh, going deeper with people professionally online versus in person. It's just easy, it seems to be easier to make that happen. And then Chuck talks about, Chuck uh, Mosley saying that the, the good news is we're learning, we're getting faster, more productive, but a little concerned about, you know, what this means about lack of interaction, you know, and what does that mean for us as uh, humans? No, it, it's, it's definitely interesting with, with interaction on, on that one, but it's also in, in the world, as, as mentioned, with, with connected devices and touching a little bit on, on that one, it's, it's, it's changing connectivity, gets get critical and all that. And, and, uh, and Chuck, they would probably chime in on, on connected devices on that one. You have a lot of experience with that part uh, on it. It's like, what, what do you see in the, uh, in the, in the business on, on that one? Are, are people embracing it and, and going that direction? Well, uh, yes, I, Morton, I, I do think that is absolutely the case. Both, both uh, I mean, I've done it on land, uh, I've done it uh, on the sea. And, uh, and, and I would say in both cases, overwhelmingly, people are uh, adopting because they understand the value. But I'd also say that in, 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 uh, at the home as well. And I, the question, the third question you posed earlier, uh, do you have more, more, I thought that was an interesting question. Uh, it's important to answer it with the understanding of numbers of connections. So I, I have smart stuff all over my house. It's not, not a big deal, light bulbs, switches, that kind of thing. Uh, mainly because I think it's really cool and I can change colors. And so that's one thing. Is it all that useful other than my thermostats and that kind of thing? No, it's just cool. Uh, but in the business world, it is extraordinarily useful. Uh, it is the only way to plan your business. Uh, 
uh, you know, the more details you know about every process, uh, the, the, the smarter you are and the smarter you are, the smarter you are. So, but I, but I, I want to come back to the comment I made earlier, uh, John, that you read. Do you remember the movie Avatar and how cool that movie was and how bizarre that concept seems? How, how, how bizarre does it seem now? Uh, and, and I worry tremendously that our, our young people uh, are going to grow up in a world where they don't interact nearly as much. And I think that is extraordinarily dangerous. So I'll be quiet now. No, it's, 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 it's a good comment on that one because there's something with the human interaction, the body language, the whole thing that, that tells something different uh, than just uh, the written word on, on that one. Um, but also, it's, uh, it's touching on, on the risk element, you said, more getting connected. And, and we saw that um, on the news, I think it was yesterday, where it came in um, County in Florida, where people hacked into the water uh, chlorinating system and all that and, and doing things on that one. Uh, and and that's what the, some of the risk of connecting things and and yeah I have I'm not sure how many probably hundreds of connected devices directly and indirectly at my house uh, on that one but my my Traeger smoker I unplug the cable on that one because I don't think even if the switch is turned off on the backside I don't want anyone to remotely turn on or anything if it's possible on that one to uh, to to do it it's back to the risk on it so so I think as we get connected. That's a big thing. The same with privacy and everything we leave after on that one. It's also a big thing and question around that that we need to think about. So, John? Yeah. So, I mean, we're having a good buzz here. I can see Rohan and Ray and uh, Greg have come back with others' questions uh, and kind of commentary. It's fun. Uh, but I think what we need to do is, uh, do you have any, anything uh, closing us out, Morton? Uh, we have a second uh, discussion that we're going to roll into. We'll take it with us. Well, I think on, on this one, it's like it's it's getting the taste of, of this one. Feel free to to reach out to me on, on it. It's moving direction. It's all about how we look at it, how we drive and understand the, the limitations, but also the challenges on, on that one and saying, doesn't make sense for me. Does it give something? At the end of the day, it's all about that business risk on that one. Risk of not doing it, the risk of doing it, and, and make sure that you put that into to your things. Either it's at home or at work from that point. Feel free to reach out to me on anything afterward if you want to discuss or talk or, or anything on that one. Uh, I'm, I'm available. So, Thank you, Morton. Folks, today's FTE show is brought to you by our underwriter, Alliance Benefit Group, building retirement plans for your business that work. So moving right to the second discussion led by Scott Dozier. Scott's a retirement planning expert helps business owners, leaders navigate and implement retirement plans that work for them. 401k to profit sharing uh, and everything in between. So he's consulted and trained thousands of CEOs, CFOs, financial advisors, and CPAs through this very important process. Hey, Scott, so glad you could network with us today. Tell us your headline and uh, set the scene for us and what we're going to do here. Yeah, thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. And thank you, Morton. Uh, good stuff. I hate to uh, change the gears a bit here that that was such a kind of a nice personal interaction and move to, a, I guess, a bit more of a, a technical, if you will, in terms of uh, retirement plans, just to kind of explain who we are. We, we handle the technical side of the retirement plan. We help corporate retirement plans build them. We, we consult on them and then we do the, the like uh, around all of that. Um, and so what I'm going to share today a little bit is a little bit of a legislative update. And I've actually got some visuals or a visual to share with you 
And then from there, we can uh, have a good interaction along the way too. So um, with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and uh, throw out what I would consider to be, uh, let me make sure I'm working here correctly, three numbers. And I'm going to ask anyone if they'd like to guess related to retirement plans, what some of these numbers might mean. So we've got 12, 50, and 55,000. John, anyone, anyone want to guess what some of these mean? All I, all I can come up with is uh, starting at 12 years old is good, 50, way too late. And it's best if you write at 12, the $55,000 check into the account. Am I close? <laughs> Uh, you're almost spot on there, John. That's just right. That's right. Hey, so the first one is is unfortunately some of this is some sort of negative statistics about U.S. retirement plans, and that's what we're mainly speaking about today. Obviously, in terms of a legislative update, um, and so let's set the table what the problem is, if you will. And Americans between the ages of 55 and 64 only have roughly 12% of what they might need to retire on. So think about it. That's their last 10 years, presumably 10 or 15 years prior to retirement. And they really only have about 12% of what they need to retire on. 50 represents that only 50% of all U.S. companies provide a retirement benefit for their employees. So only half of the, of the companies out there, whether large or small, actually have a retirement plan that is corporately sponsored available for their employees. And then lastly, 55,000 is the average retirement savings balance per an American. If you're younger than that 55, it's actually woefully below $20,000 or right around there. Uh, but uh, it's, it's the uh, older savers who have pushed up that number just a little bit. John, I think there's a, if, if you can go ahead and throw up that, um, poll questions there. Obviously, there's three here. The, do you feel personally, do you personally feel on track for retirement? Uh, number two would be, does your company prepare its employees enough for retirement? And then uh, the last one be, should the government mandate more savings for retirement? So go ahead and fill those in if you want. And John, I'll go ahead and go to the next uh, slide, and then we can uh, come back to those answers in just a moment, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah, do it. All right, so here's what Congress wants, right? In order to dissolve those problems that we just saw, they wanna increase coverage, more savings, and then more retirement income. Obviously there's concerns over the social security system and it wasn't ever really intended to be a full retirement plan for everybody. And so this is what Congress wants in terms of what we would consider pension reform. And, and I'm not going to get into it. There's about three or four possible laws or changes, including the budget that's forthcoming that might affect some of this. We'll get into some of that. John, do you have some of those statistics back or go ahead and share yeah, those got, if you do? Yeah, we got about 75% uh, of the folks that have okay. come in. So okay. I'll share the results. Here you go. Here they are. Yeah. This is good numbers. A 75% is good. It's closer to half for probably most Americans. Uh, does your company prepare its employees enough for retirement? 
It's a good sign that uh, at least you've got some sort of corporate retirement scheme or plan that is actually in place and working towards you. And then lastly, should the government mandate more savings? And so no is obviously the overwhelming response there. And we'll talk about that because that's one of the considerations as you'll see here in a moment. Hey, quick question. So Nina Herders come sure. up with what's the calculation for 12%? How do you determine what's enough? Yeah, it's a great question. That's always an individual planning question that you want to be able to ask yourself. Um, typically, I think this is based upon, those numbers are based upon about a million dollars for the average uh, average person. So about $120,000 was what came out of that study uh, that indicated that um, maybe a million dollars, that would equate to something around a five or 6% withdrawal rate. Uh, that's inclusive of what you might include from social security. Uh, that's really maybe not even fully enough, but that's at least a baseline to say that, hey, that represents something in the neighborhood of a five to 6% withdrawal rate on your assets. Got it. So we've had some other comments and I, I can see, Stig, do you mean to have your hand up? If you do, please share your comment. Uh, the, the hand uh, up was from the earlier person. Uh, so it was on the other gotcha. issue about presence and uh, my thoughts about how we can get closer to each other by using the new technology. So, yeah. Go for it. Right. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Jumping so on a couple of concepts. Go ahead, John. No, please. Back to you. Yeah. So jumping in on a couple of comments, uh, a couple of ideas that have been floated around here. So we're going to talk about a 401k credit versus the deduction that we currently have. Secure 2.0. Secure was an act that was passed at the end of 2019. Secure 2.0 is what is under consideration currently in Congress now. Has a lot of bipartisan support. So a lot of the things that you'll see regarding that will likely come to play. And we'll talk about those outcomes and likelihoods. So the Biden administration has proposed to remove the current income deduction from employee contributions to their 401ks in favor of what we would consider a tax credit. So currently, if you put money into your 401k at work, you get to deduct that amount off of your income for tax purposes, right? Well, that would potentially change under this, this proposal, which would mean, hey, instead, we're gonna do a tax credit, but we're gonna make it the same for all participants. So the best way to look at this is an example, okay? Currently, under the deduction, if you're a high earner and you're saving $10,000 versus a low earner who might save the same $10,000 into a retirement plan, they are saving, obviously, at a different tax rate. If your blended rate as a high earner might be 35% versus a low earner at 15%, the real savings that they're getting in the current tax year would be $3,500 versus $1,500, right? Never mind the idea that the high earners probably saving more into their accounts and they'd be taxed on it later or their beneficiaries have uh, the tax burden later on. The idea would be to change this to a flat credit to where each person, each participant gets the same credit regardless of what their tax rate is. Been floated around something like 26%. The idea would be then at 26%, they would both get the same tax advantage in the same year. So the higher earner would obviously 
lose something in terms of their deduction if they were at a 35% rate, the low earner would then raise up. Now, honestly, this is not getting a ton of um, traction in Congress currently, but it is something that the Biden administration has proposed and has been talked about. So let's jump into what the Congress is considering and what they are thinking about. So one of the first things that they're thinking about is this idea in that last question we asked was mandatory automatic enrollment at 6%, meaning, hey, what does that mean? The employer then would put in your income, 6% of your income into the plan at a mandatory rate, and they would escalate that by 1% each year until they hit 6%. Originally, it was, it was uh, thrown about at about 3% starting, but the current thinking is it would start at 6%. Know this, this is available for plans to build into today. The idea would be that you would have an opt-out so that if the employer does put you into the plan, you could then turn around and opt that money back out of the plan and or stop your contributions at that point. They may opt you back in later on a yearly basis, for example, but the idea would be to allow for an opt-out. Another cool feature, I think this is actually a pretty good one from the standpoint of what this actually would do in terms of savings is $1,000 of employer contribution credit per employee. There'll be a phase out to it, but what does that mean? It means, hey, if an employer puts money into a plan on behalf of an employee, like in the form of a match, or what we call profit or a non-elective contribution, that dollar amount could have a credit to the company of $1,000 up to per employee. Therefore, it's basically a pass-through. Money then could be provided to the business in the form of a credit that could then be put into the plan on behalf of the participant, therefore increasing savings to the participant, if you will. New catch-up provisions are coming. So right now, if you're over 50 or 50 or over, you can put $6,500 extra on top of your deferral limits into the plan. The idea would be to allow anybody who's 60 and over to put an extra $3,500 for a total of $10,000 into the plan. Another feature that is now really in place, but it hasn't fully been codified to where we can uh, utilize it uh, without a uh, private letter ruling, is the idea of matching employer contributions for participants making qualified student loan payments. This is the idea of killing two birds with one stone, meaning, hey, if we're gonna, we're gonna credit folks for paying back their student loans to pay down the student loan debt problem we have, by then allowing a company to use that amount to match upon in the 401k. So they would both get savings into their 401k, but as well be paying down their own student loans. So it provides incentive in, in two different ways. Now, this is these aren't all of the pieces of the SECURE Act that are being considered, but another one is to expand annuity options. Currently, right now, we're used to the idea we put money into mutual funds into a 401k. But, but they're expanding these, the options to be include annuities to where you could potentially have an income stream based upon the dollars you put into the plan. The government really likes this idea. Uh, it, provides, it provides a little bit more of a permanence, a little bit more of a backtrack towards a, a, a style of a pension where you're putting money in on behalf of building out a pension for yourself later. Okay. Um, so here's the question. Up. Yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, I was just going to say, 
any uh, any feedback from uh, uh, business leaders out there on what Scott said? How are you feeling about this? I, I see uh, Regan, who's a, a venture capitalist and a uh, says uh, while he's a libertarian, he's very much against government mandate against anything. Um, anybody have any other gotcha. feedback on what you're hearing so far and how you, any questions for Scott or the group? March on, Scott. Yep, there you go. So the, the question is, is does this really solve the problems that the, that the Congress is trying to, to uh, uh, deal with? Would this new tax credit encourage or hinder savings? Here's kind of an interesting fact that I learned about this. Basically, about 80% of us, our effective tax rate is below that 26% number. So for most of us, that actually would be a credit back to us and actually be a boon to us or a little bit more than we might get in a deduction. But for many of the higher earners, that potentially hurts them. So we believe that that would then hinder their participation into the plan. Why be hit a little bit further? There'd be some incentive there, but it would potentially hinder their participation. The other side of this though, is it may push more towards there actually being a little bit more employer money going to the plan versus employee money going into the plan. I see that uh, we got a couple questions. Lawrence says, uh, Scott, how common is it for 401k participants to actually utilize early withdrawals or bridge loans? So, okay, so currently there are, you, most plans allow for some sort of loans or the ability to take in-service distributions, usually after age 59 and a half. Uh, there are corona-related corona distributions that occurred during the last, the previous year. Those have stopped. There's some provisions to where that use may continue into 2021. It's a much larger loan provision, much larger uh, provision to be able to take money out of the plan currently. Obviously, this is not the long-term goal of, of uh, Congress to, to have people be able to utilize their plans for distributions, so, but it does get portability. So then Ed uh, says, well, hey, what's the percentage of folks in the U.S. that don't have a 401k? And then Noah is saying, hey, any odds that this impacts SEPs? Yeah, so some of this impacts mostly simples because it has to do with uh, employee contributions on the larger side, whereas a SEP IRA is an employer contribution. So right now, there's not really any talk about changing the tax implications of an employer contribution. In fact, if we, as we think that tax rates may go up on the corporate side, SEPs and other employer type contributions might actually create a little bit more of a deduction for the company. So there's a little bit of a potential there that if employer, employer tax rates go up, that'll actually push more employer money into plans versus employee money, if you will, simply because of the larger deduction that you gain out of it, right? Right. Last idea here is that, you know, we've got this idea of automatic enrollment. I definitely think that will potentially uh, push up in, in employee savings rates. The idea is that any any new plan started uh, uh, over 10 employees potentially would, would involve having automatic enrollment. Again, the opt-out feature will probably be in place. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of traction to, to potentially look towards more of a government mandated type system. 
for example, um, currently right now, Ron Wyden, who's the new uh, Senate finance chair, um, he's from Oregon, and they have a new uh, state-based IRA system. We may see a lot more state-based systems being pushed or, or pushed forward to have more of a state-based system versus a national-based system. I think that's got a little bit more traction um, than some of the others. But, yes, I think that we're going to see that coming in just over time being more and more. And I noticed that uh, Neil has come forward with a factoid of 44% of employees don't actually offer a 401k. So there's a lot of work to do there. Scott, I think that's going to be the last word. Thank you very much. So now I'd like to offer a word uh, from our FTE underwriters. Like your competitors, your firm is looking for smart places to spend marketing trade show dollars to increase online presence and thought leadership. FT offers this to select companies through our industry underwriter program. Each industry vertical has three slots, providing a limited and unique virtual channel to your decision makers. Interested? Let's talk. Uh, how was the networking today, folks? Uh, are, and are you interested in leading a discussion just like Morton and Scott did for the group? Please go ahead and click on the survey link. Gus, if you'd do us a favor and drop that survey link uh, now. FTE belongs to you. It's your community and networking platform. Share it with others that you want to connect with. It's easy to invite somebody. Just forward an FTE email or click on invite connections on the LinkedIn event page. Super easy. If you want to go deeper in the community, join our Slack channel and continue at your own pace. We'll send the link and participant contact list in today's post-show notes. Our next shows are February 23rd and March 9th. Online customer acquisition, venture capital. On the 23rd, Jeff Hoganom, 360 Connect CEO, shares how his firms navigate and challenge fast-paced world of B2B online customer acquisition. March 9th, Amy Henry, CEO of Unique Ventures, shares their views on what entrepreneurs need from early stage investor ecosystem to thrive. So sign up right now on FTE.network. Finally, thanks again, Morton and Scott, and to all of you for making this hopefully the smartest 45 minutes of your day. So take care and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.